show today we have a tremendous guest his name is brian falchuk and you know these are some of my favorite episodes because brian is a guy that i have followed on linkedin for a while our paths digitally have crisscrossed many times though we've never actually spoken and then finally i can't remember if i reached out to brian or he reached out to me but we had a phone call last week just kind of like a get to know you hey we're both in the space what are we doing kind of thing and within three minutes i was like dude you gotta come on the podcast and um this is a great episode brian's got a tremendous book coming out and uh we're gonna tell you how to get that book um you definitely need to put this on your radar uh brian is also one of the partners and insurance evolution partners uh, he's a former InsureTech executive. He has been in and outside and around the insurance world in many different capacities, brings a tremendous amount of experience, expertise. He's a TEDx speaker and uh, just an all-around tremendous resource for our industry and someone who I am incredibly proud to share with you today. Before we get there, I just want to give a quick shout out to my people at Tarmica. If you don't know about Tarmica, go to T-A-R-M-I-K-A.com today. They are absolutely positively changing the game, specifically on commercial lines rating. Uh, little Birdie told me they might be adding personal lines down the road, but right now the things they're doing in commercial lines, comparative rating are absolutely game-changing. This isn't screen scraping. This isn't kind of, we have a couple carriers, that's cool. This is API integrations, pulling in real rates. Uh, this is a this is how commercial lines rating for small business is going to be done moving forward. They have BOPS, they have COMP. Commercial auto is very close to being launched. Then you're going to get into specialty lines. This is going to be a one-stop shop for your small business rating needs, you know, re-rating books, moving books. This is going to be the tool. Go to T-A-R-M-I-K-A.com, get a demo. Even if you don't purchase Tarmica today for your agency, know what's going on. Go get a demo. Go get a demo and know what's going on with this tool. You will not be sorry that you did. All right. So with that, we're going to get on to Brian talking about just all things carrier, insure tech, um, not disruption, but like how carriers specifically are solving problems in our industry today. I love you for listening to this show. Let's get on to Brian. So, dude, it is, uh, it's great having you on the show. We had an awesome talk, uh, yeah. what was it, a week or two ago, and then, um, then I blew you off yesterday for our recording, and now oh, dude, you, <laughs> That's totally fine, and that's like, <laughs> that's, that's life right now, you know? It's like all of a sudden you're like, oh God, am I a father or am I a professional? Yeah, like, yeah. no, totally yeah, fine. The, um, my, my, what happened was my, uh, my dad normally comes and picks the kids up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so whenever yeah. I need real quiet time that's the time i schedule stuff and then yesterday he was like oh 
I can take them, but I need you to drive them out because something was going on in his life. And then yeah. I just, you know, whatever. And then you're, you're emailing me and I'm like, oh, what a dick. No, it's okay. <laughs> I've done that twice. And I've like, that's not me. I'm super punctual. So like I end up feeling it for weeks. I'm like, I can't believe it. Or I was 15 minutes late. And I, yeah. yeah. No, we, I think we, we all need to give ourselves a little bit of space on that right now. Yeah. So, so dude, so uh, I don't know how we hadn't talked before when we yeah. did, because what you're doing, I mean, I've, I've obviously seen your work and heard your name a bunch of times and, um, and you know, TEDx speaker, uh, you've, this is your third book, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you've been, uh, you know, very well received self-help, self-help author, you know, you're in the insurance space, you've worked in insure tech, like you have a really dynamic story. And, um, it, it's always funny to me, I guess, when, when I find someone in the insurance industry who is yeah. as dynamic as you are that I haven't had a chance to talk to yet. So, no, and, uh, and I, I feel really like we know each other just like, yeah, I mean, our worlds kind of overlap a lot and I've been following your stuff. And so like, yeah, I mean, when we, when we got on that first call, we just jumped in, like it, it was as if we were just continuing a conversation we were just having. Yeah. Um, so we're just, we're doing a lot of research for that first call. That's all we're prepping for it. But yeah, it's kind of funny that, that it took us this long. So we're here now. Yeah, we're here. We're here. And I'm glad we are because I want people as, as many people as, as I can. And, you know, I've been introducing you to some of my podcast buddies too, because I think what you're talking about, the way you're highlighting companies and the way you're talking about technology uh, in our industry is a very, is very, is the healthiest way possible. And it's exactly the type of conversations that we need to continue having. Yeah. Um, and also I loved, and, and we'll get into the very specifics and we'll you know, talk about some of the case studies and stuff. But I think one of the reasons why I want people to um, start following you on LinkedIn and, and become part of your ecosystem is that uh, you, know, you highlighted everything from Ohio Mutual to yeah. uh, State Workers' Comp Fund to USAA. And I think you really brought that full, what I, what I liked about the book, and I'm not done with it, but I liked that you um, brought in uh, that you brought in the full spectrum. It wasn't just like, let's laser in on these tech only, um, you know, startup right. insure techs and say that they're the future. It was, look what Ohio Mutual is doing. You yeah. know I mean, th this is the kind of company that independent agents, like this is their bread and butter as a company yeah. like Ohio Mutual. Yeah. No, it's, and it's, it's not, so yeah, there's some, some big names in there. Um, I'm not going to lie, like getting some of those carriers to jump on board, like USAA is in there and that's the one that everyone's like, oh no, they, they'll never do it. So like, don't even try. And I kind of look at it as like, well, look, if I don't have them now, then what do I have to lose by asking other than like, whatever I feel about it, like my dignity or what? So they say, no, you know, like ask her to the dance. And if she says no, well, you're not dancing with her right now. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've got the USAs of the world and CNA and AXA. Um, but then I've also got, yeah, Ohio Mutual, who I love, like they're incredible. And, and I'm lucky because on the InsurTech side, that was one of my accounts. Like I got to serve them. I got really close with their team. So I got to see them inside and out. They're awesome. Um, you know, you got like employers in there who's a public company, but not so long ago, they were a state owned or state run monopolist. Um, not, not just market a last resort. If you had employees in Nevada, you had to insure with them. And I, I hope this doesn't offend anyone. I think they would agree with this. They were a mess. 
financially, technologically, like their CEO says uh, he started in 93. So he's been with the company 25 years and worked his way up. He's like, I had to bring my own computer because we only had these green screen terminals in the 90s. Um, you know, and you got the state comp fund of California, like again, yeah, it's a big carrier, but it's a state entity. So unlike employers, they are still part of the state of California. Um, they were a market of last resort. They have been through serious ups and downs and like they have unionized employees. So the, the point is like, it's all these different carriers in different functional spaces, different corporate structures, different ownership, different constraints. Like we all face a lot of them, regulation and, you know, the jokes about the industry being slow and all that. But at the same time, like they're dealing with unions, they're dealing with, um, you know, ultimately reporting to the governor. Um, you know, you've got companies that have to deal with the stock market and answering to analysts and, and the ups and downs there. And there's companies that are mutual and there's companies that are private and reciprocal. Like the point is every one of us in, in the insurance industry, agents, brokers, carriers, providers, you know, like partners, we all have different constraints that we face. And what I didn't want to do was write this book about these innovations or these companies that have done stuff and have anyone be like, well, I can't do that. Cause look at, Oh, it's, you know, well, they're a startup. They don't have any of that. Or they're uh, you know, they've got $20 billion in the bank. So I can't do that. It's like, well, Ohio mutual doesn't, but they've got money for their size. They're, they're in good shape, but that's cause they got themselves there, you know? And so it's like anyone should be able to look at these cases and kind of drop the excuses of why it's okay for them to just sit back and struggle and not do anything. Because I'll tell you, every carrier I saw when I was on the insurtech side started with the same, like, we're too far behind, we're stuck, we can't catch up, these new guys are coming in here and making us look bad, our customers want all these things and we can't do it for them, yet they're doing stuff. So it's this kind of, it's a message of hope, really. I mean, as silly as that sounds, but that's what it is. See, that was my biggest takeaway from what I've read so far was... Um was the, the idea what you were breaking down the excuses that an organization may have for not innovating in ways. And look, like there, there are companies that even I work with who are incredibly innovative in certain sections of their business. And I still have to go log into internet explorer, not even edge, yeah, but like internet right. explorer to, to reach certain parts of their technology. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, you know, at first I was very frustrated with that um, as a, you know, I've been an agency owner for like four months now, but like, I was very frustrated at first. Cause I was like, how, like, I have to go buy a, a new $700 computer because yeah. I'm a Mac user and then figure out how to get internet Explorer onto this yeah. PC. Cause because Microsoft doesn't even support it. Is doesn't, is a non-supported yeah. browser. So I, I then had to, you know what I mean? And I'm like, but then there's other aspects of this same carrier that are so innovative and, and the way that they approach risk and the way that they're using data on the back end, even though yeah. you have to, you know, you have to use an abacus to access it. The way that they're actually using that data is it's thoughtful and it's, yeah. um, and it's creative. So, so I think I thought two things. I said, one, um, in general, I think we need to stop giving carriers such a hard time totally. um, as long as they're pushing forward. And two, um, there's, there's no excuses. You can be any size. You yeah. can be a small little super regional or domestic mutual. You yeah. could be all the way up to, to a publicly traded company and, and there are possibilities here. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think that's spot on. And it's like we use the word excuses and I don't want anyone to take offense to that because they're real things. 
you know, we're not dismissing any of it. It's not like, oh, you know, we're regulated. Um, oh, we'll get over it. You know, like you, you can do this anyway. It's like, okay, you're regulated. That doesn't mean no. That means you need to find something you can do that meets regulations. So like the Ohio Mutual example, one of the, this is the same for me because I was, so it's about their use of texting in claims. And I joined this InsureTech because I was one of their first customers. So I kind of fell in love with it um, just from using it. One of the things Ohio Mutual learned from several failed attempts, and they're really honest and shared all of that with me. And it's all in the case. Like, look, we didn't get it right the first time. We screwed up a lot. And we learned from that, like, it's okay. This was like a 10 year journey for them to get to be able to text with customers. But they had some of the same concerns I had is, well, if you're texting, like some carriers will just give their people a phone. And I know like agents, IAs, it's really common. Like you, you got to talk to them and it's the way people do it now and they can't take your phone call. So you shoot them a text from your cell phone. But guess what? Now that insured or that prospect or that claimant has your phone number. And so like, they're going to bother you in the weekend they're going to call you at weird hours, like, and they're going to expect a response. And none of that is going in the file. And like, we can't do that in insurance. If you're negotiating a new, a new policy, like, so the underwriter promises or, or makes some indication of coverage in the claim discussion, but it doesn't make it into the, into the underwriting, sorry, claim discussion, the, uh, the underwriting discussion with the broker or the agent doesn't make it into the file. What happens when there's a claim that hits on that discussion you know it's like well we don't have record of it so we're not going to cover it and the broker's like i have all the texts you know so now you're getting into an argument about it well you have to have all the conversations in the underwriting file the claim file whatever so you can't just start texting off someone's cell phone and if you do that some carriers like oh we'll take screenshots and we'll upload them into the files like do you know how painful that is yeah. and you know how quickly people won't be doing that i know carriers who gave a series of adjusters phones and they blocked out friday afternoon each week to upload the screenshots. And it's like one of two things happen. The adjusters either just didn't upload the screenshots because it's miserable or they stopped texting because they're like, I'm not doing the screenshots. So little things like that, like you're regulated, there's coverage litigation, there's discoverability, there's DOI audits. Like you need to have those conversations. So you need a texting solution that flows into the claim file or the underwriting record. It's simple, but it doesn't mean you don't, you don't text means you just need to be mindful of that. So all these things, like they're excuses, but they're considerations. They're not hard constraints. It's like walking up to a wall and being like, okay, I can't go forward. Well, did you look to your left? Because there's a door. You just need to, you know, look around a little bit and see how you can get through that barrier. Yeah. And that's really what the message is about. Yeah, I think, I think when I think excuses, I think that the same thing can be an obstacle or an excuse. An obstacle is something that, we understand is an issue like this texting problem that you're yeah. describing because that's 100% real. Yep. Um, or an excuse is that same issue, except you're not trying to solve it. You're yeah. just staying put because you're using it as a reason not to move forward. Right. And, you know, the, the, the texting thing is so real. Like I, um, I have a cell phone and then I have two-way text in that that so I have two-way text in my agency through my main number um, yeah. that automatically delivers that text message as a file record into my into my account. So yeah. as long as I have the cell phone that I'm texting attached to a client file in my agency management system, every text that goes to that system. Now the problem is sometimes I pick up the cell phone because it's easier, and I'm just like. Bang, yeah. bang, bang. 
texting through here instead of texting through my computer, which I don't have the whatever that that. But yeah. see, it's an excuse. When I pick this up, this is an excuse. Figuring a yes. way to two way text is just overcoming an obstacle. And right, I think right. That these stories and you use the word hope are of companies of different sizes and yeah. different makes and different different um, stakeholders. Right. Uh, that are overcoming obstacles in their business and showing yeah. that um, it's possible if we yeah. if you if you can systematically start you know systematically work towards a solution you can get there regardless of size or constituency yeah absolutely and what it isn't is a blueprint for exactly how to solve the seven specific things that these carriers talked about so like you know just to, to keep on Ohio mutual like this isn't as much as I love high Marley having worked there and I believe in it it's not to say if you want to text with your customer or let's get more broad, like you're having communication problems, whether it's in claims or anywhere else. Like the answer is not necessarily do exactly what Ohio Mutual did and just go sign up with Hi Marley and you're done. It's like, well, there's reasons why they were successful. Look into that. Um, that journey they went on taught them a lot about how to be successful with it. So it's not about the technology. It's not even about the specific problem, like CNA and shift technology working together on fraud. Like it's not to say, okay, if you need to solve for fraud, you have to work with shift. Like I advocate for shift. I think they're awesome. What I learned through the case taught me that, but there's lots of ways to solve for fraud. And maybe it's not really about fraud. It's about something else you're facing, but the way that CNA story played out gives you some insight into how you're going to solve this problem you face over here. So none of the cases are about that exact issue and that exact solution. They're about a story in our context with constraints and excuses or obstacles or whatever we want to call them that someone had to navigate through to get to a solution. And that might resonate with you. What do you think it is about the leadership of the companies that you highlighted and their ability to overcome obstacles yeah. that's different maybe from companies that have not yet taken those steps? So I think this is really critical. Um, there are a few things. So like there's three overarching themes that came out of the book. And um, one of the, the key pieces in that I think comes straight from leadership, but it can't be leadership alone. Like it, it has to go in both directions. You need your, the people and you need the leaders but you can't have one or the other. Um, you might have some success, but you're kind of getting lucky and there'll be a limitation to it. So what you see consistently, consistently is like Vern Steiner at uh, SCIF, the state comp fund of California, you know, like old uh, state entity, like lots of complications, all that kind of stuff. He's one of the most dynamic people I've ever met. And I've gotten to interact with him on two different things, the book and, and uh, another startup a few years ago really cool guy and he just like he's excited and he cares so deeply about his people so like a leader who could look at the fact that they have um, civil servants and union employees and be like it's us against them you know management versus the union and so there are considerations there are things that they can and can't do because of the fact that they're unionized or because they i mean even like their adjusters their attorneys are in unions like i don't think anyone really ever thinks of those kind of roles being unionized california um, yeah and so and, and they're state employees um so you know you've you've got that and he's like yeah you know there were things that we had to be considerate of but, and he said this in the, in the quote I have in the book from him, and he's like, we would have done these things anyway. So like, they're super inclusive. So they did a design build um, workshop training program for the entire company. When I say the entire company, I don't just mean like, it's for the underwriters and the claims adjusters 
or it's for the people in innovation because they have an innovation team now, or it's for IT. Like, I mean, everybody, like the administrative assistants, the first notice of loss people, the like claims process, everybody did it. Because if he realized, like, if you don't have the entire organization on board and excited and contributing, it's going to fall flat somewhere or it's going to feel like they're making us do this. It's not about leadership. Like, yeah, leadership proposes some of the things that they've done, but they, they have these workshops. They came up with 30-something ideas. 18 of them are either in development or being deployed right now. So over half of the stuff that the employees came up with are all going live. But that doesn't happen if you don't involve your people. Um, Doug Dirks at employers, like not to stay on like workers' comp, state fund kind of backings, but um, same kind of thing is it's all about the people. So he's very focused on like, you have to tell the people where you're going. You have to listen to their reaction to it. And you have to take that in. I worked at another carrier where the CEO had these all hands meetings around our new core system. And he's like, he's a fairly good leader. He could set the tone and the vision and people took to that. And I think he was a good step up from the past. But you know how he started the meeting? So he opens the phone call. We, we did it, you know, by like um, a, a group uh, dial in. He goes, I'm going to tell you about an update on the new core system. It's being delayed. I've muted every participant. I don't want to hear a single thing from anyone about this problem. It's like, okay, that's how you're opening the discussion. Instead of like, listen, I know everyone was excited for this. We're still excited for it. We're still super aggressive on the timeline. We're still going to deliver it way earlier than anyone ever said, but we've made a decision to push back three months for these reasons that we think are really critical because you guys told us it wasn't ready. You told us you needed this feature. You, you know, he could have, it was an opportunity to have the people bought in instead of being like, oh, great. Now we're stuck, yeah. you know, and we're not allowed to speak because how dare we? You know, and same thing, like all hands meetings, they got the whole company together for an annual like, kickoff meeting. And he said the same thing. He's like, we're going to go over the system, which was being delayed again. Go figure. Um, and he's like, and he said, we're going to have Q&A and I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want a single question about the system. It's like, dude, that's the first thing you tell your entire company to start off this, this discussion. Yeah. Do you think people are going to feel open? Do you think they're going to feel safe sharing the ideas they have? Absolutely not. So you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Um, and that, that was universal. And that goes across every single case in the book. Yeah. I think, um, you know, to, I'm, I'm not going to use it. I'm going to try not to use any of the cliches, but as we're recording this, we have both Corona and, you know, protesting. Yeah. Um, and we have another layer, the, the rioting going on and then all the undercurrent culturally, um, not to mention businesses trying to reopen, you know, people from basically the entire spectrum uh, trying to restart or recalibrate their life to whatever it's going to look like. And I had someone email me the other day and they just said, that, you know, it was, it was, it, I shouldn't even say email, it was like a DM, you know, a D, yeah, some yeah. message on some platform in some capacity. I can't yeah. remember if it was LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. They just were like, you know, everything has changed. And it all starts with leadership. Like everything has changed and it all starts with leadership. Leadership can never be the way it was in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Like it can't be that version, that draconian yeah. version of leadership anymore that just will not work. It won't be tolerated, let alone you're not going to be able to keep the people. And 
um, you know, that's a really interesting problem. And the companies that, you know, some, some of the things that just in there and, and employers in particular, just watching some of the things they do and, um, and, uh, and Ohio Mutual, I know, I know a lot of people in Ohio Mutual from my old life, man, you can see the difference. And, and, and particularly, I find don't watch the actual leader. Watch yeah. the way the people underneath him or her operate and you will know what kind of leader that person is. Yeah. And um, that, that, that to me is the biggest game today. That, yeah. that, is, that is the most important thing is how do we get our companies back to business in a way that makes everyone feel safe and yeah. heard and pointing the same, in the same direction um, unlike it's ever been done before. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, as you're talking about that, there's a, there's a trait in leadership that I think, and we talked about this uh, when we were catching up like last week or whatever it was, um, that I think people like Mark Russell is the CEO at Ohio Mutual, Vern Steiner, Doug Dirks, like it's humility versus hubris. There's so much unknown right now. So for you to stand up there and dictate what it is and that everything's fine or like coronavirus every week, there's a different answer as to how it works or what the issues are. And like, I don't want to spark a debate with anybody publicly about this, but like, that's, that's just true. Like there's a lot we still don't know. And it's not to put down any of what we do know or progress or whatever. Um, so to stand there and say definitively, it's this or it's that, like, who are you serving? Well, the same goes for your leadership, you know, to tell, to tell your company, like, you know, let's say you had a spike in claims, like you're on a liability line. So it's not, you know, it's not a short tail kind of thing. And just to say like, it was this and we're over it. Well, what happens next quarter when the next slew of lawsuits comes through or those judgments didn't go the way you thought they would, or, you know, you've got a class action. I had this happen when I was running claims is we had a class action suit. The floor had been set on those suits by the prior case. There was another one going on concurrently. We didn't think it would settle before ours did. It did. And the, the, um, basically like each of these, uh, in, in class action, each suit in the same space kind of sets the floor for the next settlement. So it just yeah. keeps going up and they settled for 10 times what the last one did. So all of our reserving was shot and it was big dollars, like really, really multi-million dollar, um, change in reserves. Um, so that was a huge shock. So I thought back to the last quarterly reserving meeting where I presented that claim. And you know, I remember like the CFO nodding as, as uh, you know, he's hearing me give, give a view on it. We're holding this for it right now. Here's our reasoning for it. Yeah, yes, there's uncertainty, but we feel pretty good about that. And six weeks later, I come back about 10 times as high, uh, nine times higher actually. And, you know, it's like, how certain was I when I made that statement, how much was I trying to tell him, like, there's no issue here, you know, move along versus just being like, look, this is what we think it is. The reality is there's risk. And I don't know. I think this is what it is. We're making our best efforts. Here's all the data behind that, but anything can still happen because it's a heated situation. I think that's really critical. I think the people who are willing to admit that and take the feedback and take the guidance and listen to your people, like that's, to the first two of the three pieces of advice, one is your, your employees have the answers uh, and the other is your customers have the answers. Like you have to listen to your customers and you have to listen to your people. And if you tune them out or you tell them what they think or you tell them what the final answer is when it's still really early on and there's room for things to move around, you're going to fail. 
And that's, I think that's a universal truth in leadership. Yeah. I, um, we need problem solvers, not people with the answers because yeah. the answers aren't the same anymore. It's a new right. test. Yeah. It's a whole new test. This isn't, this isn't, you know, it, you know, in, in the, you even look 10 years ago, right? Look five years ago, the, the answers, the test was the same test. Maybe the, a couple of the questions changed, but the same test, it's a completely different test today. We're not taking the same, the Scantron yeah. looks different. You know, there's no new Scantron. Yeah. We're not even using number yeah, two yeah. pencils anymore, right? Like this is a completely different thing. And, um, you know, I think, I think it is at all times, eyes wide open, ears open, listening, learning, reacting. And really what leadership is, is less about having the answers and more about willing to take responsibility. And that's, that's yeah. what it is, I think. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping that our, our, our agency owners who are listening to this, uh, you know, our producers who are writing accounts and on the front lines talking to businesses and leaders of businesses who are addressing these exact concerns, um, carriers working with agents, understanding, trying to develop. I, I just, you know, I look at, at the, at what the role insurance is going to play in the next five to 10 years in our society. I don't know that there are very many industries as important to our future as insurance. And I think both our carrier professionals, our vendors and our, and our agency force needs to take that responsibility seriously because yeah. this is, this is our time. Yeah. Comp is going to be a disaster, a disaster. BI, what, what happens it, when, when, when the riots are over and they finally have a chance to come back to the BI discussions and they yeah. start trying to help these companies with their BI, it's going to, it could change everything, right? Well, so and like BI may not have been triggered by coronavirus and I have a view on that, but it would be by rioting. A hundred percent. It would be by looting. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. So, so that's a no brainer. But what yeah. I'm talking about is they're going to come back to these discussions they were having pre-rioting about yeah. whether or not BI is covered in COVID and whether or not carriers will just be a mechanism for distributing these dollars and all these different discussions yeah. they've had. And, you know, I don't, you know, I, I'm very interested in your opinion on that because I have my own as well. But like, there are, there, are, there are going to be crazy decisions made that are passed down to insurance organizations of all sizes, agents, carriers, and their vendors. Yeah. And we have to be flexible and we need to step up because, you know, people's lives will be changed by the work that we do over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I think that is absolutely right. There's no question about that. And this is a, a major um, a major shift point for us. And like, you know, the book goes into a lot of like technology and CX kind of stuff, like customer experience stuff. And, and that's no question, like that's been pressured to change. We're talking about some more fundamental kind of economic demand side paradigm shifting type stuff to use lots of cliches, but that's the reality. Um, I can't remember if we had talked about this offline, but like one of the other big things I've been talking about with people is, you know, there's been lots of talk about AVs, autonomous vehicles. So, you know, the move to autonomous vehicles, shared vehicles, is personal car ownership going to go away? Or if you still have a car, but it's autonomous, it shifts from personal auto to product liability, E&O kind of coverage. Uh, so for the personal auto insurers, that's a big question mark. And a lot of them have been playing around and thinking about, you know, what do they do long-term like CSAA, um, the AAA carrier out in California, um, you know, they're in the, in the book and they talk about that as one of the things that they think about. Um, well, I, I don't care what any predictions are that they're like, oh, in two years, every car's going to be autonomous. The reality is that's still a ways off. 
And until like there are enough cars off the road that are personally owned or that are autonomous. And so it's like, you know, instead of personal auto, that's a ways off, like decade plus easily. Yeah. I would say decades, but who knows, but it's a while. The average car on the road is 12 years old. So you at least need to turn over the fleet once to have a meaningful change here. But now you have something that suddenly is threatening personal car ownership for a different reason in the here and now that's not dependent on tech. And that's everyone suddenly is, is at home, like tons of coverage of that, you know, like miles driven down, frequencies down, all that. There's lots of give backs and um, like that's, that's pretty widely known. Well, the question is what happens as people start to go back to work? Simultaneously, you have companies that were never for remote work that had to be okay with it, had to put all the tools in place and saw what happened as a result. And you do have a lot of companies that are like, actually, we are gonna be flexible on where people work. Oh, we can give up all these leases? Like Nationwide, they're keeping four campuses, they're walking out of all their other leases. State Auto has two campuses in, um, in Columbus alone, like they've got their main building and then they had additional space, they're already out of the additional space. They're redoing parts of their headquarters and consolidating in. Like a lot of carriers are looking at giving up their leases. And, and then, you know, that stretches to other industries like Twitter and Facebook have already said that. I know people in the creative world. So a really interesting interview with, um, I think it was one with Ralph Gilles, who's the head of design for Fiat Chrysler globally. And he's like, we started to see designs coming out of our designers. Like we've never, like everyone has a style. So you kind of expect when they're on this project, like their sketch is going to look like X. He's like, they're coming up with totally new design languages for their style because they're working from home. So a lot of companies are thinking about that. Now, what happens if you're you know, two income or one income earning family with two cars because those cars were going in different directions at the same time? You had to have two cars. What if you're working from home now? So the average number of cars per person in the US is 0.83. What if that drops to 0.8? So like not a big shift or 0.75. Again, like numerically, that doesn't sound like a lot. That's billions of dollars yeah. of personal auto premium. So you start to think about that. Like it's not AVs. It's not 20, 30 years out. That's right now. It's, you know, the average lease is, is three years. So how many of those cars, like we're thinking about it. My wife and I are both working from home. My son goes to school in town. So it's like, do we need to have two cars? So like mine's paid off. So when her lease is up, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe we downsize to one car. I ride my bike or run a lot of places too. Yeah. So like, do we need cars? So there are interesting new discussion points that are going to come up that I, I think the industry's in for some interesting shifts. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, and then, and, and, and the other interesting part is, is, as cars go, you know, it's, it, there's just so many things here. Like, just think about as cars go electric, I've insured two Teslas in the last two weeks. And right now, the way Teslas get rated are as this highly expensive and yeah, they're expensive yeah. to fix. And For they're sure. being, I think, I think they're being overrated personally, but as, as rating history starts to extend and we start to see what the crash history is on these things um, and more, uh, more auto mechanics are able to repair Tesla's for less. I mean, today they get what one in every thousand cars that comes in 10,000 cars that yeah. comes into an auto shop is a Tesla. So they don't know what they're dealing with, but yeah. as these cars become more frequent, the parts are on hand, the technicians, um, understand what they're dealing with more, the cost of repair will go down. And I think what we're going to see is a dramatic, you know, I think driven cars 
we'll see, we'll also see a dramatic decrease in the amount of claims that we have because anyone who's ever driven or sat in a Tesla, it's almost hard to crash. Like it's hard. I mean, I just look at the technology in my wife's Ford Explorer. If I get too close to the car in front of me, it literally breaks for me. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So it, um, you know, this kind of stuff is, is going to be bringing is, is changing the dynamic of these companies and, and how we serve, you know, it, you know, how we serve our clients, where do, where do agents, you know, since agents are, are probably the primary listeners to the show, where do they spend their time? If yeah. you're hawking home and autos right now, you need to have a real value proposition besides price because that market, you know, it's, just think of what you're able to pull from LexisNexis these days. Just yeah. if the carrier has a LexisNexis, not if they have all the other databases built in. I mean, you, it's going to be pretty soon. If you have the VIN, you need nothing else. Yeah. You need nothing else. That's it. That's all you need. Why do you even need the driver? If the car drives itself, if it's a Tesla, why do you need to know who the driver is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I just got a competitive quote. Um, I didn't provide them any information. I used to be insured by that carrier like a decade ago. And I, they even knew what my coverages were. Now, yeah. for people in the industry, maybe like, dude, that's like that's old hat. But I was blown. I was like, okay, I got to. I downloaded my deck page because I'm like, I got to make sure. I, and it's like, oh, how do they know what my coverage is? Well, because it's all out there. Yeah, like it's all through the DMV, and like that's registered information. Like it, it's available. So, yeah, I mean, how are you? How are you going to continue to access the information that's there, but also thinking about how the exposures change? Yep. Like what we were just talking about is a frequency versus severity question, and it becomes more of a med pay issue. Like, yeah, the cost of repairing any car with advanced technology, like advanced safety equipment is expensive, but the real issue is going to be on the med pay side and whether, you know, you're like medical bills are expensive. There's no question about that. And even more complicated today. So what's your, what's your understanding of bodily injury? What if people stop getting hurt in car accidents? Well, so there's that question too. So then like there's, there's no question there's a huge shift potentially coming in what auto accidents end up looking like in the actuarial experience for them. And I agree with you on Tesla, like, plus like the sensors come down and they're highly aluminum intensive and that's very expensive to repair. But Ford did that with the F-150 and they're going through process with that and other car companies will continue to do that. Same thing with carbon fiber. So like, yeah, maybe five or 10 years out, but the general body shop space can't deal with those cars yet, but they will be able to like, mm-hmm. so, you know, as a technology and the ability to work with it comes out, it's like a, a Kia Stinger. I saw a repair on a front end collision with, you know, the five mile per hour bumpers activated. So not like, not a, a major accident. It's like $39,000, Yeah, which is like that car barely costs more than that. So it's not just Tesla's. I, I think there's oh, 100, you know, I, I 100% agree with that. I like to use yeah. Tesla because everyone gets fired No, but it's up, perfect. But, uh, but like the Stinger's not getting rated like a Tesla. No. And, and that's what I understand is, is, you know, and then you look at, you know, at some point you look at like state minimums, right? I mean, some states still have like 15, 10, yeah. $15,000 state minimums. New York is 25,000 state minimum. You can't repair a fender bender on $25,000. No. Like no. you said, you bump into a Kia, a Kia, and and you now your at fault liability is is maxed out. Yeah. And you know I, I I this guy I insured the other day, um he had he had a rear end accident. He rear ended um a Mercedes, twenty seven thousand dollars. It was a twenty mile per hour, like yeah. 
He was going 20 miles an hour, slammed on his brakes. It was, it was, at, it was in a city environment, $27,000 yeah. because of all the sensors and yeah. get the bumper back on. And, and if he had state mins, he's coming out of pocket for that. Yeah. And that's just the Mercedes. That's not even his car, right? That, that, yeah. That's not yeah. the damage to his car. That's just yeah. the damage to the car that he hit. So yeah. it's like, you think about that. You're like, if frequency goes way down, but severity is way up, how does that impact things? I mean, right. I'm not an actuary, so I, I don't understand all the dynamics of it, but I do know that things are a changing. And, yeah. and, and I think to bring this back to your book, um, I think what you're talking about in here is that all these obstacles are solvable. Yes. Are, and, and that mindset that you outline, I think is, is important because too often, um, I think when someone like you would come on a show like this, what people are really dialed in for is give me the three-step process. What's the, yeah. what's the three-step process that gets me to that solution? It's like, no, like, let's talk about the mindset. Let's talk about how they're doing it. And then you can apply those learnings and methodologies yeah. to your own business, but you're not yeah. getting a checklist to, right. to the answer. Yeah. And so this is, this is when I get into the discussion about like, wait, your first two books are self-help and then this one's business. It's like, okay, well, I've been in insurance for 20 years. So like, this is more in my home space and the self-help stuff. There's a reason why I wrote those, but I kind of see them as the same. It's like the first two books, self-help for an individual. This is self-help, but the individual is an insurer or yeah. an industry, if you will. And the, but the approach to me is the same. Like there are self-help books that are out there that are like workbooks, you know, answer these three questions and add the sentences together. And then you have your life mission statement or whatever. Mine don't work that way. They're introspective. I think this is the same story. Yeah. Is like, and that's why I'm not like, question is fraud, answer is shift, done exactly like CNA did. It's like, no, you're not CNA. So it can't be exactly yeah. the way CNA did it. Even just the people are different. Um, so it is like, well, what are you facing? Okay, here are some things you need to think about to guide you. Like, how do you engage with your customers to learn more instead of presuming what they want? Um, Sheffy from Coverger said uh, in the, like their weekly roundup the other day, she's like, this is an industry with indifferent customers. If you're working on things that customers don't care about, stop it. Like just, and obviously there's some things you have to work on that customers don't care about. Like, so it's, it's not as black and white in that. But if it's a CX thing, if it's a customer facing thing, stop it. Because they don't care. Yeah. So why are you, because you said they care? Well, did they say that? And we've all been guilty of that. You know, oh, I worked dude. on something with uh, like the fourth thing customers wanted was what we were working on. And of course it got spun in the presentations. Like one of the top five things is like, no, it's like 20% wanted that 80% wanted the first thing. And you're not even paying attention to that. Cause that felt too yeah. hard. You know, it, it's <laughs> so one, i I have to give a shout out to Chevy. I, I adore her work. I also disagree with her a lot of times, but she is the one of the best provocateurs in our entire industry. Totally. And, the and, work it was, that, and I know it was a provocative statement. And yeah, oh, yeah. she's it, the best at those. Yeah. Her, her and Avi, wrong. two yeah. of them. I, yeah. And I, I really like, um, I, I once had, Avi, and Avi called me one time and we were just, you know, not out of the blue, but, and we were just talking and we probably talked for like two and a half hours, just, yeah. just rapping. I never talked to him before. He's another one of those guys and, and yeah. Jeffy's the same way. But um, to her point, you know, that's been one of the biggest lessons that I've learned owning my own agency Yeah, is when I started building this thing, I was like, this is what customers want and, that and this and this. And at the end of the day, you know what customers want to not have to think about this. That's it. They don't care if you do it in paper. Absolutely. They don't care about e-sign. Yeah. They don't care about any of that crap. Anyone who, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they use it, 
but they use whatever you tell them to use. If I sent them a, 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 uh, an application in the mail and said, hey, sign it and stick it in the mail and send it back, they'd be like, okay, no problem. Yeah. I'm good, okay, no problem. Like, right. they want, you know, phone, email, all this stuff. Like, it's, it, yes, there is a shift in, what, in some of the things, but what they really want is to not have to worry about this. They want to know yeah. that it's taken care of. Yeah. And that, to me, has been this mind shift where I was working on all this stuff and this funnels and this automation. And I'm looking at the analytics and I'm going, no one gives a shit. Yeah. They're not even looking at the freaking video proposal things that I'm, they're not even watching. I'm, I'm yeah. serious. I'm not even watching them. Yeah. And, uh, and, and like, it, I just think it's crazy because I, I know people and I'm, I'm sure they're not lying. This is just a one case study to, to your point there was or one, one thing video proposals are the future of personal lines insurance. God, I had I someone not. say that. Yeah. And I know that that person believes it. And yeah. I love that person to death. And I do not doubt that their experience has been that. Yeah. My experience thus far could not be farther from the truth. Yeah. You know, I, I've sold every personal lines policy I've sold so far has been emailing a PDF and jumping on the phone with them. Not yeah. Zoom, not video proposals. I even sold one belly to belly across the kitchen table. Like, yeah. I guess, you know, so from my perspective, I completely agree with you, like, and, yeah. and Sheffy, for that matter, like, we need to stop working on the shit that we're being told we should work on and yeah. work on the stuff that our clients actually want us to work on. Right, right. And, and I think they want choice in that. And that came out in the USAA case is like, if someone wants to talk to us, we need to do that. And if yes. they don't, we need to do that too. And if they want one and switch to the other, or, or uh, CSA, like the case there is about offering Lyft uh, vouchers instead of a rental car because not everyone wants it. Like I lived in the city in Boston. I couldn't get a rental car because I couldn't park it anywhere. Yeah. And the insurer probably wouldn't have paid for me to put it in a lot for like 40 bucks at night. Yep. So I don't want a rental car, but Lyft didn't exist back then, but I would have loved to get Lyft credits. I love that. But you know what? Sometimes you need both. And they initially were like, it's one or the other. And they're like, oh, the body shop called them last minute after they returned the rental car to be like, oh, you know what? We just found a problem with the pain. It needs, you know, we need to touch it up and let it cure for another day. They're like, well, now I don't have a rental car and the place just closed. I need a ride. Well, how about we get flexible because they chose one path. We're not going to lock them into that because our, our intention is to get them from point A to point B in their life because that's what the coverage should be about. So having that flexibility and on the video stuff, man. I hope it doesn't go that way. My bank just sent me an escrow analysis as a video. I'm like, I don't have 12 minutes. Yeah. I just need to know what the number is. Like, do your video, but can you just send me the information? Yeah. I don't want to sit through this. And it's like flowers and the sun is shining. I'm like, you're taking more money from me. I don't need the little animation. Can you just tell me what it costs? Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I, you know, I, I, and, I, I and there are it. people who want that, right? And like, there are people who want that. Fine. And I think, you know, just to kind of, uh, wrap this conversation up, which has been tremendous. We could talk for another hour, but like, um, I think that you, you said it, this is, this is not a time for humor, hubris. It's a time for humility. Totally. And I think a willingness to be flexible to what your customers want, knowing that if you have 10 customers, that could be 10 different customer experiences, 10 different paths. Yeah. You go 10 for 10, all different. And yeah. being able to, receive all of them, uh, that takes humility because yeah. oftentimes we want to shove them down a path because our hubris tells us that's the way it should be. And I think that's the failing because I, I say all this, yet the most recent proposal, which I'm hoping the guy signs today or tomorrow, 
was a video proposal. That's what he wanted. He said, I don't want to get on the phone. I'd rather right. do email or text. So I did a video proposal for him. But the yeah. first 20 that I signed, they not, not a single one of them wanted it, nor did they care. And, uh, you know, so it's like, it's, it is about, I think, having the humility to be flexible. Yeah. I think you're completely right on that. And I, I just couldn't agree with that point more. Yeah. No, I, that's awesome. Yeah. We, we could totally talk for hours. Yeah. Um, and then we could bring Avi in and yeah. for like six hours. That'd be fun. So, um, um all right. So they, people have listened to the show. They're obviously yes. bought into what you're doing. They want to get the book. They want to learn more about you. Where do they do that? So the book's available everywhere. Um, pre-order right now coming out June 24th and you can, uh, you know, Kindle audible, like all that, the audible's coming. Um, or you just go to future dash of dash insurance.com. You got to use the dashes yeah. and uh, you can learn more about the book. You can see the carriers that are in it. You can get a link to the pre-orders and I'm adding them as each one of those channels comes online. So it's future dash of dash insurance.com. Sweet. So we'll have the links up in the show notes. If that doesn't, if you can't remember that, although you should be able to remember that um, or just go to Amazon and pre-order yeah. the book and yeah. push, push the rankings up. Yeah. You want to have a, uh, and a bestseller here on the show. We always like to yeah. make everyone a bestseller. And I, and I don't think you can go wrong, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, like, even if you're an agent and you don't nerd out on the carrier stuff, you're going to learn how to solve problems. I, I've already, you know, or, or I shouldn't say learn how to solve problems, but you're going to learn how these companies are solving problems. And I'm telling you, it's going to open your eyes to, to what I think is, and, and, and obviously what Brian does as well, is, the, is, the, is how we are going to get past these obstacles moving forward. Yeah. And maybe, you know, some of those listeners will be in round two of the book because I do believe we as an industry have the capacity and the intelligence to keep moving this forward. And there's cool insights going on every day and I want to keep hearing them. So yeah, like I want people to get the book, but I want them to do something with it. And then I want to hear from them. Yeah. I want to know how you're, how you're innovating, how you're evolving and changing despite all that we face. Yeah. So guys, great follow on LinkedIn, follow on LinkedIn, get on the newsletter, Go, go check everything out. I'll have all the links up in the show notes, but absolutely grab this book. You're not going uh, to be disappointed and, uh, and connect with Brian on LinkedIn because uh, always sharing good stuff. And uh, that's, I think, where I originally just came across your work and um, been a fan ever since, man. So thanks for spending awesome. some time with us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ryan. And ditto, man.